0: Section 10 of The United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The World's Story, Volume 12, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 10 When De Soto Met the Princess, 1541, by Theodore Irving. When the day dawned, de Soto set out with a hundred infantry and a hundred horse to reconnoiter the village. Arrived on the opposite bank, John Ortiz and Pedro, the Indian boy, shouted to the natives to come over and receive a message for their cacique. The Indians, terrified at the strange sight of the Spaniards and their horses, ran back to the village to spread the news. In a little while a large canoe was launched, and came directly across the river, managed by several rowers. Six Indians of noble appearance, all about forty or fifty years of age, landed from it. The governor, perceiving they were persons of consequence, received them with much ceremony, seated in a kind of chair of state, which he always carried with him for occasions of the kind. As they advanced, they made three profound reverences, one to the sun, with their faces to the eastward, the second to the moon, turning to the west, the third to the governor. They then made him the usual demand, whether he came for peace or war. He replied, Peace, and a free passage through their lands. He moreover requested provisions for his people, and assistance with canoes or rafts in passing the river. The Indians replied that their supplies were small, the country having been ravaged by pestilence in the preceding year, so the most of the people had abandoned their houses and villages and taken refuge in the woods, neglecting to sow their corn. They added that they were governed by a young female, just of marriageable age, who had recently inherited the sway they would return and repeat to her the circumstances of their interview and made no doubt from her discreet and generous nature she would do everything in her power to serve the strangers with these words they departed they had not long returned to the village when the spaniards perceived movements of preparation and observed a kind of litter borne by four men to the water's side from this alighted the female cacique and entered a highly decorated canoe a kind of aquatic procession was then formed a grand canoe containing the six ambassadors and paddled by a large number of indians led the van towing after it the state bark of the princess who reclined on cushions in the stern under a canopy supported by a lance she was accompanied by eight female attendants a number of canoes filled with warriors closed the procession the young princess stepped on shore and as she approached the spaniards they were struck with her appearance she was finely formed with great beauty of countenance and native grace and dignity Having made her obeisance to the governor, she took her seat on a kind of stool placed by her attendants, and entered into conversation with him, all her subjects preserving a most respectful silence. Her conversation confirmed what had been said by the ambassadors. The province had been ravaged by pestilence during the preceding year, and provisions were very scanty. She offered, however, to share with the strangers a quantity of maize collected for the relief of her village, and to put them in the way of getting similar supplies from other villages. She proffered, likewise, her own house for the accommodation of the governor, and half of the village for that of his officers and principal soldiers, and promised that wigwams of bark and branches should be put up for the rest She added that rafts and canoes should be provided for the army to cross the river on the following day. De Soto was overpowered by the generosity of the princess, and endeavored, in the best manner, to express his sense of her kind and hospitable offers, assuring her of the constant friendship of his sovereign and himself. The cavaliers, too, listened with admiring attention to her discourse, and to the answers she gave to various inquiries concerning her province, leaving them as much charmed with her intelligence and judgment as they had been with her beauty, and wondering to find such dignity and grace and true politeness in a savage brought up in a wilderness." While the princess of Kofachiki was conversing with the governor, she was slowly disengaging a string of large pearls, which passed three times round her neck, and descended to her waist. The conference ended, she told John Ortiz, the interpreter, to present the necklace to the general. Ortiz replied that the gift would be more valuable if presented with her own hand, but she scrupled to do it through a dread of infringing the propriety which females should always maintain. When de Soto was apprised of her scruples, he directed Ortiz to tell her that he would more highly prize the favour of receiving the gift from her own hand than he would value the jewel itself, and that she would commit no breach of decorum, as they were persons unknown to each other, treating of peace and amity. This being interpreted to her, she rose, and placed the string of pearls about the neck of De Soto. He likewise stood up, and taking from his finger a ring of gold, set with a ruby, presented it to her as a token of peace and friendship. She received it very respectfully, and placed it on one of her fingers this ceremony ended she returned to her village leaving the spaniards much struck with her native talent and personal beauty the governor endeavoured to inform himself respecting the boasted riches of the province for this purpose he called to him two indian lads who had formerly accompanied traders into this part of the country and who had told him that their masters had trafficked here for yellow and white metal similar to the gold and silver shown by the spaniards and also for pearls he made these youths describe the articles to the youthful princess, and begged her, if such yellow and white metals existed in her territories, to have specimens brought to him. The princess cheerfully complied, and in a little while several Indians appeared, laden with the supposed treasure. To the great disappointment of the Spaniards, however, the yellow metal proved to be a species of copper of a yellowish tint, much resembling gold, and the white metal, though a shining substance somewhat of the appearance of silver, was extremely light and crumbled in the hand like dry earth. Some have supposed it was a species of quartz, but it is probable that it was mica. Thus vanished of a sudden the golden treasures of cofachiqui to console the spaniards under their evident disappointment the princess pointed out a kind of temple or mausoleum at one end of the village and informed them that it was the sepulchre of all the chieftains and great warriors of the place and was adorned within with great quantities of pearls and that at another village called talomico about a league distant the ancient seat of territory was a still larger mausoleum in which all her ancestors were interred and which contained still greater quantities of pearls all which she assured the governor should be entirely at his disposal De Soto was in some degree consoled by the news of these immense hordes of pearls for his disappointment in respect to gold, though even as to the latter many of his followers did not give up their hopes, insisting that there were veins of gold in the copper and brass of the country. They were destitute, however, of aquafortis or touchstones to assay them. Juan de Añasco, the contador or royal accountant of the expedition, being absent, the governor deferred visiting the temple until he should be present in his official capacity. In the meantime, he placed trusty persons to keep watch round the edifice by day and night. As soon as Añasco returned, the governor visited the mausoleum, accompanied by the officers of the royal revenue and a number of his principal officers and soldiers these edifices were of great magnitude that at talamico being a hundred paces in length and forty in breadth with lofty roofs of reed at the entrance to the latter temple or mausoleum were gigantic statues of wood carved with considerable skill the largest being twelve feet in height they were armed with various weapons, and stood in threatening attitudes with ferocious looks. The interior of the temple was likewise decorated, with statues of various shapes and sizes, and a great profusion of conscious and different kinds of sea and river shells. Around the sepulchre were benches, on which were wooden chests skillfully wrought, but without locks or hinges in these were the bodies of the departed caciques and chieftains of kofachiki left to their natural decay for these edifices were merely used as charnel-houses besides these chests there were smaller ones and baskets wrought of cane which were filled with valuable furs and indian robes of dressed skins and mantles made of the inner rind and bark of trees, and others of a species of grass, which, when beaten, was not unlike flax. There were others formed with feathers of various colors, which the natives wore during the winter. But above all they contained pearls of every size, and in incredible quantities, together with the figures of children and birds made of pearl the portuguese narrator says they obtained fourteen bushels of pearls and that the female cacique assured them if they searched the neighboring villages they might find enough to load all the horses of the army nor is the inca less extravagant in his account all this, however, must be taken with a large deduction for the exaggeration with which the riches of the new world were always described by the discoverers, when beyond the power of proof. The intendants of the revenue would have made general spoil of these precious articles had not de Soto interfered. He represented that they were at present merely discovering the country, not dividing it and having to make their way through a vast wilderness, it would not do to burden themselves with treasure. They should therefore only take specimens of these riches to send to Havana, and leave everything in the temples in their present state, until they came to colonize and make a settlement, when all should be properly divided, and the fifth of the amount be set apart for the crown." He distributed, however, handfuls of large pearls among his officers, exhorting them to make rosaries of them, and permitting the officers of the crown to retain a large quantity which they had already weighed out. Annexed to this great sepulchre were several buildings which served as armories, containing weapons of various kinds, all arranged in great order. The whole establishment was maintained with exact care, and evidently was in the charge of numerous attendants. While ransacking these depositories of arms, the Spaniards, to their astonishment, found a dagger and several coats of mail. Nothing could equal their surprise at meeting with these European relics in the heart of this unknown wilderness. They questioned the Indians eagerly on the subject the latter informed them that many years before a number of white men like themselves had landed at a seaport about two days journey from thence that the commander of the party died soon after landing whereupon great factions and brawls took place among his followers for the command in which several were slain the rest had reassembled on board of their vessel and put to sea The Spaniards pondered over these facts, and determined that the white men in question must have been the unfortunate Lucas Vazquez de Aillon and his ill-fated followers, and those experienced in maritime affairs gave it as their opinion that, from the course of the river which passed by Cofachiqui, it must be the same which on the sea-coast was called the St. Helena. Elated with the riches they had found, they urged the governor to stop here and create a colony. The country was fertile. They might establish a lucrative pearl fishery, and carry on a trade with Spain from the seaport at the mouth of the river. De Soto persisted, however, in his original plan of making an exploring tour and meeting Maldonado at the port of Acusi according to appointment. He observed that the surrounding country would not afford provisions for a month, that it would always be open for them to return to in case they should find none richer, and that, in the meantime, the Indians would sow their land with maize in greater plenty. After a long sojourn, therefore, in this fertile and opulent province, de Soto prepared for his departure during the time of his sojourn several broils had taken place between his people and the natives these had originated in the ill-conduct of some of the low and base-minded of the soldiery probably in their rapacious eagerness for gain They had produced a general ill-will among the Indians toward their guests, and a change in the feelings of the young and high-minded princess, who, instead of evincing her usual kindness and hospitality, grew cold and indifferent in her conduct, and appeared to eye the Spaniards with great distrust. De Soto remarked this change, and received private intelligence that the princess was about to take to flight and leave him without a guide for his march or porters for the baggage of the army as his route would lie through various tracts of country under her dominion any hostility on her part or on that of her subjects could not but prove extremely embarrassing he determined therefore to adopt a precaution more than once practised in the course of his expedition and which the spaniards had found efficacious in their mexican and peruvian conquests which was to secure the person of the sovereign by way of insuring the peaceful conduct of the people accordingly he placed a guard round the person of the female cacique and signified to her that she was to accompany him in his march but while he thus detained her as a hostage, he took care that she should be attended with the respect and ceremony due to her rank. The policy of this measure was apparent in the cessation of all brawls between the Spaniards and the natives, and in the good treatment which the army experienced during its subsequent march through the territories of the princess. It is agreeable to note that the stolen princess soon succeeded in making her escape, And that she carried away with her several slaves of the Spaniards. End of section ten. This recording is in the public domain.